entering the Freedom Hut. CNN has completely lost its mind. They are now saying that the president is like Mao, Stalin, and Hitler, or at least they're letting that be said on their air and not correcting it. Completely insane. We'll also talk about how Elizabeth Warren is now neck and neck with Biden. Is she the Democrat nominee? We just don't know it yet. And the New York Times doesn't like when people decide to apply their journalism tactics against them. We got that and the latest from the G7, Trump's negotiation with China, and so much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Well, I think that medicalizing politics has three very dire consequences. Hmm. The, the first is that it stigmatizes the mentally ill. I've known thousands of patients, almost all of them, have been well-behaved, well-mannered, good people. Trump is none of these. Lumping the mentally ill with Trump is a terrible insult to the mentally ill, and they have enough problems and stigma as it is. The second issue is that calling Trump crazy hides the fact that we're crazy for having elected him and even crazier for allowing his crazy policies to persist. Trump is as destructive a person in this century as Hitler, Stalin and Mao were in the last century. He may be responsible for many more million deaths than they were. He needs to be contained. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody, coming to you live from... New York City. That may be the craziest thing we've ever started the show with. Of all of all the sound bites, of all the the clips that we pull off air and and talk about here, the the fights we have with the mainstream media. I, I don't know if there's ever been anything more insane than that. That was on CNN, on a cable news show that is broadcast into a hundred million American homes. That will be played not just on the internet, but picked up by different channels around the world. That the president of the United States could be responsible for millions more killed than Hitler, Stalin, and Mao. That was a psychiatrist, folks. That was somebody who's supposed to be a medical professional going on TV at CNN. And they're not embarrassed by this. Notice the anchor didn't jump in. You know, I've had anchors try to tell me, oh, you can't say on undo- you can't say illegal alien. You have to say undocumented. But they'll put a quote medical professional, unquote, on TV. I mean, I, I really want to see this guy's medical license uh, because he's going to say that Trump is possibly worse in body count, not not even just in character than Hitler, Stalin and Mao. And to give a, a scientific basis for this, or to, or to pretend that this is rooted somehow in, in medical knowledge. You know what the medical knowledge is here? The person saying this is a loon. A loon. The anchor at CNN who allowed this to be said is an embarrassment, is a joke. And they might turn around in a year or so and they say, I don't understand. How did Trump win? Trump wins because of stuff like this. No normal person 
hears this and says, oh, yeah, that that sounds about right. I mean, Hitler precipitated a war that killed about 40 to 60 million people and uh, executed, murdered, exterminated 11 million people in the death camp, 6 million of them Jews. Stalin is believed to be responsible for directly through liquidation policies like the liquidation of the kulaks, uh, uh, the the policy of throwing farmers off their land and eliminating those so they could collectivize the farms, and then also just the purges, the various purges of the military and the political class. They they think, you know, in Siberia, they think 20 million. They don't even know. They're guessing. No one really knows. 20 million, though, they put at Stalin's feet over the course of, of his reign of terror and you know, forced famine in the Holodomor in Ukraine. I mean, all these horrible things. And then you get Mao, who threw again central planning. That's right, socialism, national socialism, Chinese socialism, uh, communism, Soviet socialism. But socialism, in the case of Mao Zedong, killed, they think, through the Great Leap Forward and the ensuing an entirely predictable famine, about 40 million people. They don't know. They didn't really keep close enough record. They think about 40 million people, people starving to death. And as a direct function of, in fact, sometimes because uh, on purpose, not just a famine created by government policy, but then the starvation as weapon tactic became very real under the communist. I don't know, we're diving into a little bit of 20th century totalitarian history here, but guess what? This is what people at CNN are saying about the current president of the United States with, you know, lowest unemployment in like 30 years and might even be longer than that now. Uh, You know, prosperity. I mean, I keep asking the people that are like, Trump is destroying the world. What is he doing? That's so bad. And then they always say, oh, you know, kids in cages and separating children. I'm like, okay, I mean, he's not doing that anymore and it's a difficult situation and the, the you know the, the the stuff happens but they're they've tried to reunite all the kids and no kid died because of the kids in cages thing that's not what happened oh my gosh you know he's okay well what else this guy's saying that that he might have a bigger body count than Hitler Stalin or Mao and the CNN anchor isn't like all right that's insane You've, you've really got to tone that down. When I talk to you about Trump derangement syndrome, I'm not trying to be cute. I'm trying to, yes, as a, as a non-medical person, but as somebody who reads and thinks for a living all day long about these matters, there is a mental illness among the left. Trump has broken them. He has made them incapable of reason. They no longer have a context for their outrage. It's just always, it it always is at the absolute maximum. There's nothing you can say that is too insane as long as it is damaging and as long as it is a, a form of attacking President Trump. That's it. That's the only, that's the only standard. That's the only thing that really matters to them. Only thing that they really care about how how else can you explain what is what is now being said on these different channels how else can you explain this and i mean cnn is is holding itself up as the as the adults in the room so to speak of the media they're the one facts matter to them they say they're all about that 
They put this guy on television? They set up the segment beforehand. Do you think CNN's going to release an apology, by the way? How about an apology for putting somebody on air who says the president is the uh, the Hitler, Stalin, and Mao of this era? And how about an apology for running for two years with a the president is a traitor narrative that they were wrong, like a bunch of idiots, the entire editorial staff at CNN, all the different primetime shows, all the different daytime news shows. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Do they have not an ounce of integrity, not a shred of of decency or shame in anything. No, they'll just, you know, they'll put Avenatti on TV. They'll put Scaramucci on TV. They'll put this crazy doctor guy on TV. Anybody who trashes Trump deserves attention and airtime, and it is destroying the uh, whatever belief there was in a professional media cadre. These are activists. They are propagandists. They take sides and they cheat to help the side that they want to win. All while saying that they're just, oh, we're just presenting the facts. Oh, we're just trying to be, you know, neutral arbiters here, you know, parties that bring you information this whole process. And when they're not saying the president is worse than Hitler, Stalin, or Mao, they're saying the president is racist. When they're not saying the president is racist, they're saying that the president is, in fact, not of sound mind, is insane. And this is, I think, what psychologists would call projection. There are, I believe, a lot of people, a lot of Democrats, a lot of leftists who think that President Trump is crazy when any real assessment is the people that think Trump is crazy themselves have got some issues that they need to address. Speaking of people with issues... Brad Stelter over at CNN has a show, and he wants you to watch it because it's called Reliable Sources because he's very reliable, and he's like Jeff Zucker's little mini-me, and he'll do whatever he needs to to make sure Zucker gets in the show and he's happy, and he's not very smart, and he's not very good at TV, and he's not interesting, and he's definitely not suave, but Brad Stelter thinks Trump is crazy. He's getting worse. We can all see it. It's happening in public. But it's still a very hard, very sensitive story to cover. I'm talking, of course, about President Trump, about his behavior, about his instability, the contradictions, the lies, the complete rejection of reality. Some prominent figures, including the husband of Trump aide Kellyanne Conway, are pleading with the press to take this more seriously. On Friday, George Conway said Trump is decomposing before our very eyes. He said, quote, Republicans need to face up to the fact that the president is mentally unstable and psychologically unfit. Now, Conway seems to think it's narcissistic personality disorder. Others have other concerns. Anthony Scaramucci is out there saying mental breakdown. What does the mooch? Sorry, I just swatted at the microphone there. (laughs) My bad. Sorry, everybody listening across America. We're on 160 stations. I think I've been saying 120 for a while, but we actually did a count today, Producer Mark. We are on 100 and I believe 164 stations as of today. And they all love us. They do. We do very well on all of our stations. Uh, When I took over this show, it's a little bit of nostalgia. There's a total departure. We'll get back to Mooch and all the rest of it in a second. Libs are crazy. There's the summary version. Libs are nuts. Back to the Freedom Hunt and how we're doing. 
When I took over this show, we had 106 stations across the country, give or take. It had been at 120, but we, with the change of hosts, there were a bunch of drops. So then it went down to 106 for a period of time. And so when I took over, from the first moment I sat at this microphone, we had 106 stations. Now we have 164. Booyah. We'll be right back. I think I've been saying it for a while. I don't want to be that guy that keeps on claiming to make the predictions because it's very hard to predict anything in politics these days. But it's looking like Warren. Now, this Monmouth poll that just came out, it's a national poll of early 2020 Democrat preference. Uh, This Monmouth poll is interesting, to say the least. You got Bernie Sanders at 20%, up six points from June. Elizabeth Warren at 5%. Joe Biden at 19%. Kamala at 8 Corey at 4 Pete at 4 uh, Andrew Yang at 3 uh, Julian Castro at 2 Beto at 2 Marianne Williamson. That's right. She's still in the race. She's still in the running. Fantastic. Open your mind and your heart at the same time, darling. Girlfriend. She's got you covered. Marianne gave me a hug. I tell you that, producer Mark. It was nice after the show. It was probably a warm hug. She was she was very friendly. She said, "I have healing crystals that will change your world." Uh, but this poll is the first indicator I have of what I've been thinking all along, which is one: it's not going to be. It's, I've been saying it's not going to be Biden. It just it just can't be Biden. I mean, I kind of wanted to be Biden because I I'm very confident he would lose it in a matchup against Trump. Uh, this to me, this doesn't say it's going to be Bernie. You know what this says? Warren becomes the consensus candidate. That's right. Focahontas herself becomes the Democrat nominee for the presidency. And is it really is it really that surprising when you think about it? I mean, the, 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 the Clintons were so embraced by the Democrats and the Clintons had a brand based upon ruthlessness, anything to get ahead, lying, lack of ethics, grasping, greed. I mean, there's just that was the Clinton brand. And the Democrats were all about it. No problem with it whatsoever. Um, so is it such a big deal that Elizabeth Warren was engaged? And in terms of the Democrats, I'm saying, I mean, I think it's a big deal. The woman's got real problems. But uh, in terms of what we've got with, uh, with this lineup right now, based on the polling, I, I think it's going to be, I really think it's going to be um, Warren. She becomes the consensus candidate. She becomes the one that progressive enough for the far left, establishment enough for the DNC types. Mayor Pete and Kamo, though, are still in the mix. Much to my, much to my surprise, here is what uh, Kamala had to say about this. We will do what is necessary to prosecute the case against four more years of Donald Trump to turn the page. Because the bottom line is this. Now, I'm going to get a little casual right now. The bottom line is this. Do got to go. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be Kamala. I don't think it's going to be uh, Mayor Pete either. Here's Mayor Pete on the uh, moral character that we're talking about here. 
What we're asking voters to think about is what they are tolerating. There are a lot of people who say they're they're not voting for him because of the racism, but in spite of it. Uh, but what kind of argument is it, first of all, to say that you should tolerate racial, uh, the kind of racial rhetoric of this president? And secondly, his argument up to now has basically been, hey, tolerate the chaos, tolerate the, race, uh, the racial remarks, uh, tolerate the bad example for your children. Just put up with all of that because I'm delivering for you economically. But if you actually look at the economy, he's delivering job growth almost as good as we had in the Obama years. And that may be coming to an end. So it's an argument that, that just doesn't make sense. And I think it cheapens the moral character of voters and of the decision before us. I mean, look, Pete should be somebody that you think could be in the mix a little bit. But, uh, you know, Pete's a guy who just doesn't, again, the same thing with Kamala. You know, she's trying to be casual. She's trying to be cool. She's kind of got the you know, it's like she's like a forced laugh. And now you got Mayor Pete with the moral character question and, you know, the whole thing. It's like, you know, they're just not national level players, folks. That's really the problem. Warren, for all of the fakery, for all the racial fraud, for all that stuff, I just, I'm seeing it for the first time today. I see a poll that makes me think that, uh, you know, she's... Uh, she's the one, and I think that the next debate's going to solidify it. I'm making my predictions right now. I think this is where it's it's all going. You know? I think this is where it's heading. I really do. So, we'll see. I mean, a lot can change between now and then. You've got a far-left situation here that's, you know, trying to, um, you know, make the party as far-left as Bernie Sanders. I think that's definitely possible. I think they may get there, but I think that Warren becomes the, oh, you've got all the credibility, all the gravitas, and you still have that true radical socialist stuff going on there. I just, Kamala and and uh, Mayor Pete don't have it. So the New York Times is very upset about something. The New York Times is very upset because they say that they're now being targeted. Um, This is from the New York Times yesterday. They're being targeted because of what they say is their, you know, hostile coverage. They don't accept that it's hostile coverage, but because of the perception of their hostile coverage, uh, they are being targeted. Um, They're being targeted by, quote, a loose network of conservative operatives allied with the White House Pursuing what they said will be an aggressive operation to discredit news organizations deemed hostile to President Trump by publicizing damaging information about journalists. It is the latest step in a long-running effort by Mr. Trump and his allies to undercut the influence of legitimate news reporting. Four people familiar with the operation described how it works, asserting that it had uh, compiled dossiers of potentially embarrassing social media posts and other public statements by hundreds of people who work at some of the country's most prominent news organizations. Now, they're trying to make this sound like it is nefarious. They're trying to make this sound like this is a dastardly evil plan to silence the media. I mean, we, we started the show with them saying that, tr- that the president is basically Hitler, Stalin, and Mao. We started the show with them suggesting that the president 
of the United States is a is on track to be a mass murderer. But then they'll also tell us, oh, no, he's uh, he's somebody you're afraid to speak out against. Journalists are being silenced. You see, they always claim they're being silenced. Meanwhile, they've they've all got huge platforms. They say whatever the heck they want. Uh, you have, uh, I think you had some. You know, recently, didn't somebody have a uh, an effigy of Trump that they, you know, were engaged in some mock violence of or something? I mean, they do all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, you know, I have to say, just going back to the election thing for a second, I'm just surprised. I I did think that Cory Booker would do better. I thought he would get further in this process, you know, from the polls. I really did that. So that's so I'm not right about all this stuff all the time. And I'm a, I'm a little surprised that Beto flamed out so quickly, too, that he just couldn't. Couldn't get any traction, you know, Corey and Beto just couldn't couldn't really do it anyway. Back to this New York Times thing, they're all upset about it. They're all saying that uh, this is a. Underhanded operation to, you know, hurt the media, to make the media look bad. And you know what they're doing here? They're just looking through the tweets of journalists for either really bad stuff or just really anti-Trump stuff. All they're doing is looking through what is not just public record, but what is published record by journalists at places like the New York Times. They're going to compile it. They're going to look at it. And they're going to say, okay, well... If the newsroom of the New York Times is going to claim that the following journalists are, you know, ethical, honest, and have no bias whatsoever, they're going to have to explain to the rest of us why it is that they have people that are writing these horrible, publicly writing horrible things about the president of the United States. I mean, they, they cannot have it both ways. You know, they can't do it. They cannot be in a position where they're claiming, on the one hand, to have total objectivity, and then they run around and they say all this horrible stuff about the president. And I just have to note that they're, you know, after what we saw with the Covington High School kids, and after what we've seen with um, the woman that CNN, I think she was either posted or was enticed to go and, and post or something about a Russia-backed event. I think she was in Florida. They camped out in front of her house. The Covington kids, somebody created a meme of Nancy Pelosi being, you know, drunk, a fake kind of funny meme of her being drunk. And CNN, you know, went after him and people are threatening to they were threatening to dox him. This guy was just an everyday guy who posted a video they don't like. I mean, they will go after for social media infractions. They will go after private citizens. They will go after individuals who um, they think need to be taught a lesson. And now that this is turning around in the other direction, now that you have a moment where journalists, all that we're talking about from what we know so far is what is already out there and on the internet that they have published themselves, that's going to be looked at and people will draw conclusions from that. People will make determinations about, you know, whether or not uh, that's something that, we should factor into our thinking about these organizations, right? 
And isn't that only fair? I mean, isn't there a transparency? And why is the tactic when journalists do it totally fine? Because we trust them so much? Because they have such good uh, judgment and they're so honest and they're so fair and they would never abuse their power or their authority in ways that were meant to uh, never, right? Oh, no. I've just got to say. How much longer do we have to believe this nonsense? How much longer do we have to be of the mind that this is, uh, you know, something that anybody should listen to even? And yeah, the president wants to go to, he's going to go to war with the press. We are gearing up for, I mean, 2020 is going to be a propaganda war. 2020 is going to be a fight between competing narratives And the media plans to play a huge role in constructing narratives. And we know that they've already they've already picked a team. We know what team they are on. You know, we know what their plan is. We know what they're going to do. And so Trump is just trying to get ahead of this. And so or some allies, I should say, people that are you know, in favor of the presidency, people that uh, want Trump to succeed. They're just going out of their way to do what they can in order to show the public who are these individuals. Look, I am fine with left-wing journalists being left-wing. It's not that. I just don't like the lie. I don't like the pretense that they have no politics. I, I don't think that anybody should have to choke down that lie anymore. And that Trump's allies are using a tactic that journalists use against all kinds of people, not just the powerful. And that was, you know, the New York Times wrote, uh, they had some statement about this that, you know, oh, you know, we, we use this to speak truth to power. That's not even true. They'll use this against anyone who crosses them, because at the end of the day, you know this as well as I do. Libs will shame your grandmother for wearing a MAGA hat on Facebook. They will do it. They do not feel bad about it. They will dox her and ruin her, so to speak. All right, we got to talk about G7 trade, trade war, China, stack show team. We'll be right back. Well, look, if I can reinterpret that, I mean, he spoke to us. He didn't exactly hear the question. Actually, what he was intending to say is he always has second thoughts, and he actually had second thoughts about possibly a higher tariff response to China. So it was not to remove the tariff. He was thinking about a higher tariff response. Having said that, we're staying with the policy that was announced uh, on Friday, as I believe. China called last night our top trade people and said, let's get back to the table. So we'll be getting back to the table. And I think they want to do something. They've been hurt very badly, but they understand this is the right thing to do. This is a very positive development for the world. America's trade war, my friends. It's a real thing that's happening. It was quite a Roller coaster over the weekend, you had the Group of Seven, formerly the Group of Eight, sorry Russia, summit in Biarritz, France. A very fancy place for very fancy people. This uh, seaside resort was hosting leaders of the world's seven biggest economies. And they're there, and of course there's a fair amount of talking about... uh, Globalist, the Illuminati, the Bilderbergs. Well, not the other stuff, but definitely the globalist agenda. I saw a behind uh, Macron, Emmanuel Macron, 
from France. I wish he was that kind of French. He's more of like the boring French banker French. He's not like the fun, I make the croissant early in the morning and I yell at you Americans for speaking the bad French in my uh, boulangerie. He's not that kind of French, which would be more fun, like like a big mustache French guy with a beret who wears the shirt with the stripe and the beret. And uh, I don't even know what, you know what I'm talking about. Producer Mark knows what I'm talking about. Les poissons, les poissons. You know what I mean. Macron's not fun French like that. He's like, I'm a banker. I do the things here. I make the money. Now I'm the prime minister or president or whatever. President is president. Fine. So anyway, Macron was there and he had a, a fight inequality behind him. The fighting inequality. What does that mean? Don't we just want the whole world to get richer? I mean, this is there's a there's a very important flaw in the leftist globalist thinking here, which is that you know we need to worry about where some people are versus where other people are. When really what we need to worry about is just where is everybody? Is everyone getting more or less safer, healthier, richer, better off, living longer, hopefully happier? Oh, that's more complicated than just material prosperity. I know I'm saying it. But on the side of the economy and the things that states tend to worry about, shouldn't it just be how we're getting everybody everybody richer instead of, oh, some people are so rich and other people are just getting a little bit richer. That's not the way you should approach these things. Fighting inequalities on the on the wall behind Monsieur Macron. We, oui. I am here to take all of your pain au chocolat. No, Monsieur, please don't take all my pain au chocolat. Yes, I will take all of your pain au chocolat because it is delicious and uh, it's very high calorie. It's very full of sugar. I like. Okay, so uh, it quickly turned into the Trump show at the G7, though. I mean, that was, that was to be expected, right? So Friday, yeah, the president asked about whether, remember, this is the big meeting of the big cheeses from the biggest countries all over the world, biggest countries by economy, not, not by population, and, uh, and not by landmass, or else Greenland would be there. Yeah, Greenland. Saw Tom Cotton wrote an editorial. Kind of sounds like the Buckster putting out all the reasons why buying Greenland's not not a not only is it not crazy, it's actually a good idea. Oh, look at that! It's a good idea. Um. So, yeah. Uh, where were we now? Oh yes, President Trump. Uh, was responding to a question about uh, whether he had ever reconsidered his choice to confront China on these issues of trade. And Trump said, quote, yup, I have second thoughts about everything. Now, this got some people all spun up. They're like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? Trump is reconsidering. Well, I don't think that's really what's happening. Uh, Because within a few hours... Now, maybe the president was thinking out loud and he said that. It did seem like he was suggesting that that was true. But, you know, then within a few hours, the White House released a statement saying, no, 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 what Trump is saying is he reconsidered because he would even go deeper into the tariffs. He'd double down. He'd go bet it all on tariffs if he could. He'd go even harder in this direction. Now, is that just bravado? Probably. Probably is. 
Um, but at first they're saying, well, maybe Trump's come to the conclusion that his critics were right all along and enough was enough. Uh-uh. That's not what happened. Stephanie Grisham, the White House press secretary, is going to put out that statement. And then, as if that wasn't enough to troll his enemies, of which we know they're, they're legion, Trump's enemies, he said, uh, quote, I could declare, this is about the trade war, I could declare a national emergency. I think when they steal and take out an intellectual property theft anywhere from 300 to 500 billion a year, and when we have a total loss of almost a uh, trillion dollars a year for many years. Uh, so that, I mean, the moment he starts talking national emergency, you know, you know the libs are going to freak out over that one. And that completely sets them off um, because that reminds them of the border security fight because Trump declared national emergency to get the wall done, the wall funding. So I, I think that was largely just trolling them. But he's, again, trying to make the public case that if you don't confront China, you're going to continue with the status quo. And the status quo is really, really bad. They are stealing from us. They are engaged in unfair trade practices. They're doing all of these things. But if Trump's plan was to just troll the left, well, yes, indeed. Mission accomplished, Donald So uh, then you also had the trade war itself, the latest implications of it. Uh, Trump is not backing down. Starting October 1st, as of this weekend, he's going to raise tariffs on about $250 billion of Chinese products up to 30% from 25%. That's not all he's going to do. The president's also saying that uh, tariffs on an additional $300 billion are set to kick in on September uh, and will be 15% instead of 10%. So Trump is doubling down. Is he right about all of this, though? The president certainly thinks he is. He said, quote, our country's doing really well. We had horrible trade deals, and I'm straightening them out. The biggest one by far is China. I think we're going to have a deal. Well, let me say this. Here's some outside-the-box thinking for you folks. And I'm not the first, I think, to really point this out, but I'm definitely one of the best. (laughs) That's one way to say it. What if... The president stays on this path and then he decides when things really heat up in the election year, he decides to just, you know, pull up stakes and say, you know what, forget it. No more trade war, no more tariffs. China, give us all your stuff. Markets be calmed. I think that would send the markets rocketing up, at least in the short term. Remember, this is short term pain for long term gain. That's the whole purpose of the trade war. But if Trump decided to strategically pull out of this trade war in his reelection year, I think that's a secret weapon. I think he's got between that and declassification of the Russia collusion documents, the FISA stuff. But that wouldn't be as powerful as this. That's one secret weapon he's got. This is another secret weapon. What if Trump ends the trade war in 2020 just to ensure his reelection? I think that might happen. And on next year's G7, you alluded today, dropped several hints about Miami, about Doral, and yeah. hosting next year's G7 at your property. What reassurances, if any, can you give the American people that you are not looking to profit off the presidency? Well, I'll tell you what, I've spent, and I think I will, in a combination of uh, uh, loss and opportunity, 
Probably it'll cost me anywhere from three to five billion dollars to be president. The only thing I care about is this country. Couldn't care less. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. The deals I'm making are great deals for the country, and that's to me much more important. Uh, Doral happens to be uh, within Miami. It's very importantly only five minutes from the airport. The airport's right next door. And by the way, my people looked at 12 sites, all good, but some were two hours from an airport, some were four hours from, I mean, they were so far away. We have a series of magnificent buildings, we call them bungalows. They each hold from 50 to 70 very luxurious rooms. We have incredible conference rooms, incredible restaurants, many hundreds of acres, so that in terms of parking, in terms of all of the things that you need, uh, the ballrooms are among the biggest in Florida and the best. It's brand new, and they want that. My people wanted it. From my standpoint, I'm not going to make any money. Let me explain to the Lib journos. Yeah, this is one of the classic things they do here. They're asking Trump, "Oh, what about the profiting off the presidency?" This is just an extension of the say of the same obsession they have with the all oh, the emol- the emoluments clause, all oh, the emoluments clause. You know, somebody from the government of you know Finland. Has a, has a Diet Coke in the Trump International Hotel in D.C., and they're like, oh, he's owned by the Finnish deputy foreign minister who had a Coke in Trump Hotel. I mean, just these people are nuts. They've completely lost. This is why we can't even have a civilized conversation with the left anymore about Trump. There are areas where you can criticize Trump, and sometimes I'd even have to concede, yeah, that hasn't gone as planned, or yeah, he's not great on that. This stuff is not one of those areas. They, now, part of it is they just don't understand. They just don't understand Trump. They don't. They don't get it. You know, they see him. Uh, they they see the president speaking about a a real estate project that you know he's an owner of or that he's involved in, and they think, oh my gosh, he's trying to line his pockets. First of all, Trump is very rich. We're very rich after the, unlike Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton, who weren't rich until after Bill Clinton was president. Ooh, what a surprise. Uh, unlike the Obamas, who weren't really rich until after the presidency, uh, Trump is already really rich. You know, and I know that there's a there's an argument made that rich people, their greed is not related to their need. They just they're greedy because they're greedy. That is true of some rich people, but I mean, let, let's be realistic about this. I mean, the president you know, he's going to make so much money from from holding a a summit at a hotel that he owns. I mean, that, that's just. It's just nonsense. It's just go ask the Bidens about how, you know, Joe Biden used to rent out all of his uh, different, like rent out a five by five piece of his property and charge a secret service like he was giving them, you know, Miami waterfront property rates or something. It was nuts. Biden was trying to penny pinch, take as much as he could from a secret service that was protecting him when he was vice president. Uh, but anyway, look, I mean, the, the thing the media doesn't understand about Trump is that he's, this is who he is. He's proud of these projects. He views himself as, you know, in, in very much uh, embedded with, uh, he's intertwined with these brands. He's a, par- he's a part of what these projects are. And so, yeah, when he talks about it, there's a little bit of showmanship and a little bit of, oh, we got the best this, we got the best that. That's just the way Trump is. And I don't know if they're not smart enough to understand that or if they just pretend pretend not to understand it because it's easier to say, oh, my gosh, he's trying to make money off the presidency. But this is really what they're asking him about? You know, oh, no, Trump's going to hold a meeting at the... Who cares? Meanwhile, I'd rather have... I'd rather have the, uh, the press doing the job they pretend to want to do, 
which is to ask the president real questions about real foreign policy matters and see what his answers are and inform the public. You know, there's so much. I, I, I was watching uh, CNN today and I was seeing, you know, Jim Acosta and some other anchor. I can't remember the guy's name and some other you know, other reporter. And they're doing the whole, you know, well, what the president's really saying is this thing. And, you know, they're. They're not even reporting on the president. They're, they're giving their opinion of what the president said as reporters. This has become normal now because the, the Trump deranged CNN audience is just expecting a steady diet of Trump is Hitler. That's why CNN gives them that. Trump is Hitler and Stalin and Mao. He's just like all of them. This is CNN. But they're, they're giving their analysis of this instead of just telling us what was said or instead of letting us come to our own conclusions about the latest here and meanwhile i want to hear about for example is trump really going to meet with the iranian foreign minister is he going to have a a sit down with with rouhani does that sound realistic to you could you see yourself it does. in talks with the iranians within well weeks? it does i i don't know the gentleman i think that i think i know him a little bit just by watching over the last number of years what's happened I'll tell you one thing he's a great negotiator but he uh I think he's going to want to meet. I think Iran wants to get this situation straightened out. Now, is that based on fact or based on gut? That's based on gut. But they want to get their situation straightened out, Jonathan. And uh, they're really hurting badly. Their inflation, as you know, because I saw you reporting on it, uh, their inflation is through the roof. Their economy is tanked entirely. The sanctions are absolutely hurting them horribly. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. They're great people. I don't want to see that. But we can't let them have a nuclear weapon. Can't let it happen. So I think that there's a really good chance that we would meet. Now, will Trump get a deal with the Iranians? I, I think it's I think it's unlikely, even if you met with him, I, I think it's unlikely that would work out the way the president. But it, he's not going to know unless he tries. And unlike the Obama administration, Trump starts, and this is where I would say he's right on the broad strokes. He's right on the important foundational substance of our relationships with these with these different uh, either enemy states or oppositional regimes or whatever you want to call them he gets that they're the bad guys we're the good guys we're in a position of strength vis-a-vis all these countries iran china all of them we are still in the position of strength this was one of the uh, the root fallacies of the obama administration and you know, one of the the underlying fundamental flaws in their approach to everything was that they assumed that the U.S. needed to act like we're on the same moral and ethical plane as these other nation states, and we are not, and we are also stronger than them, and so we should get our way when there is a conflict between these two, you know, these two countries. I mean, ultimately, we have the winning hand, which means that we should, you know, we either get what we want or we exact a price. Which is why when the, when a reporter pushed Trump on, well, are you going to pay off the Iranians? Are you going to give them, you know, because you've you've backed out of this deal? I mean, this is, it's just they ask these crazy questions. I don't know what it's like to be. It must be fun to go around being one of these lib journos who think that they're doing this really important work of speaking truth to power, and they're all just parroting each other all the time, and they're just doing it for the other lib journo types out there. And the elites that own these different media entities, you know, Bezos owns the Post and, you know, Carlos Slim was a huge investor in the New York Times. You know, 
You have all these different billionaires that are the, the money behind these lib operations that otherwise would have gone out of business. You've got to remember that, too. Their business models are all failing. But, yeah, they ask questions not because the public necessarily needs to know, but it's because it's what they think that, they, that we need to know or what they think that their buddies, the other journals, want to know. Like, are you going to compensate Iran? Be open to giving Iran compensation no. if it met some of the criteria that you no. laid out. What he's talking in terms of compensation is they are out of money. And they meet, may need a short-term letter of credit or loan. No, we're not paying. We don't pay. But they may need some money to get them over a very rough patch. And if they do need money, certainly, and it would be secured by oil, which to me is great security. And they have a lot of oil. But it's secured by oil. So we're really talking about a uh, letter of credit type from, facility. From the U.S. or from the, uh, all it, the it would involved. be from numerous countries, in numerous countries. And it comes back. It would be it would expire. It would be paid back immediately. Yeah, not pallets of cash just because we want them to like us. And this is a this is a reminder that you know Trump approaches negotiations like an actual negotiation. I can, we can do good things that you'll like, or we can do bad things that you won't like. Using leverage, using pressure, inducing through things that the other side across the table wants from you. That's how negotiation works. Obama wasn't a negotiator. Obama was a show up, read the speech, and have everybody tell him how brilliant he was, and he was going to save the world guy. And he didn't save the world. In fact, he was particularly weak on foreign policy issues. He was particularly bad at understanding the place of America in the world. And this was this was apparent from the very beginning. This was apparent from the way that he answered questions early on in his presidency about American exceptionalism. And I think when Trump goes after Obama on foreign policy, you can tell the libs they hate it, but they just don't have good responses. They don't have a lot to. They don't have a lot to counter it with because you look at the Obama record on foreign policy. It's a disaster. No big deals. No big. The, the only thing Obama got done was the, which was the Iran deal, which just bought the Iranians a lot of time and gave them a lot of money to get what they wanted to get done. That's it. That's it. Uh, as Trump pointed out. Obama got free lessons in statecraft from Putin. This was also at the G7. A lot of bad things happened with President Putin and President Obama. One of the things that happened was, as you know, what happened in with a very big area, a very, very big and important area in the Middle East where the red line was drawn. And then President Obama decided that he was not going to do anything about it. You can't draw red lines in the sand. You just can't do it. And the other was in Ukraine having to do with a certain section of Ukraine that you know very well, where it was sort of taken away from President Obama. Not taken away from President Trump, taken away from President Obama. President Obama was not happy that this happened because it was embarrassing to him, right? It was very embarrassing to him. And he wanted Russia to be out of the what was called the G8. And that was his determination. He was outsmarted by Putin. He was outsmarted. President Putin outsmarted President Obama. Now, this is a reminder. We call it the G7 now because it used to be the G8. And then when they, uh, they kicked Russia out because Russia got a little too grabby with some parts of Ukraine running uh, effectively a 
an insurgency in Ukraine. It was people call it Russian backed. I mean, it was really Russian orchestrated. Uh, and Trump has mentioned, you know, maybe we got to bring Russia back into the. And I, look, I know they're going to. Oh, see, now is when he's Putin's puppet and everything else. Well, Russia's not going to ch- hasn't changed and is not going to change what it's doing in Ukraine. And at some point, we have to ask the question: All right, well, do we just keep them out forever? Do we just say that we're, we're going to continue to do business with Russia, but not treat Russia as a as a serious player in the global economy? Because the problem with that is that Russia is a serious player in the global economy. We can we can pretend like it's not, but there is no cordoning off Russia. Russia's not North Korea. We can't just say. You know, you, you no longer get to play with the big boys, and that's just the way it's going to be. And what is the loss that we're taking as a result of this? What's the downside of this over time? I think that's also a very important component of this. But we can never have adult foreign policy discussions anymore because it's always just, a, it always turns into how terrible Trump is. And he's so awful, and they hate Trump and everything else. And if you don't say that, then they say, oh, you're just, the, you know, you're horrible. You must be taking money from Big Oil or Putin or something. I wish, man. I'd love some, I'd love some cold, hard Putin cash under the table. That sounds like fun. Just kidding. I'm sure that's something that's, actually, I don't know. what. what yeah, no, that would be, uh, it's probably illegal in some way. I can't even really understand right now. But I'm not running for office. I'll do whatever, you know, Putin could hire me as an advisor, right? I mean, okay, he's a bad guy. I don't really want his cash. I'm taking it a little too far. But you get my point. I'm not owned by Putin or the uh, fossil fuel companies. And this is just what the left always says. You're a bad person if you don't agree with them, including on foreign policy. I just wanted to say we will take two questions okay. on each side. Afterwards, I will say goodbye to my friend President Trump. I will leave the room in order for you to follow up with. If you'd question. like, we could do two each and then we we'll exactly. both leave the room. Would you prefer that or would you prefer to? I just don't want to have the president of France standing here. Well, I'm answering these absolutely wonderful questions, okay? As <laughs> yeah, Trump understands, this is how, if you're going to be a mainstream journo and you want attention and accolades of your colleagues and you want people that are going to, you know, you want people to think that you're doing a good job and all this other stuff, you find yourself asking questions that are not meant to illuminate but are meant to attack, are meant to degrade the president of the United States publicly, that's the best way to get yourself all kinds of high fives and love from the rest of the journals. As Trump is, you know, he, he makes a joke out of it, but it's, it's a real thing that he's talking about. It's a true thing that the, uh, the press have a career incentive not to try to draw out important information necessarily, but to just to show us all, to signal to their readership, their viewership, whatever it may be, that they are anti-Trump. They're, they're the good people who are anti-Trump. That's what they really want everyone to take from all of this. And um, he also points out that there's a, a clear incentive in the media looking for storylines, for narratives about how we are, we're heading for an, a recession, which, you know, think about how this would have to go. We're we're at you know two and three percent GDP growth. We're we're gonna have two quarters of negative GDP growth. Uh, GDP growth out of the blue. It's it's really very unlikely. I'm not saying we couldn't start to track down into that direction, but to have a true recession, there would have to be a real I- event to ignite this in some way. Something that is not necessarily unforeseeable, but certainly unexpected. 
And he knows the media is rooting for a recession. Of course the media is rooting for a recession because that's the way they think they're, they're going to avoid four more years of Trump. Play clip five. And uh, we're doing very well. Our country's doing fantastically well. I mean, you people want a recession because you think maybe that's the way to get Trump out. Maybe that's the way we get him out. But I don't even think that would work because, look, if there's anything, it's, you know, we've got to go into trade negotiations to get it right. But ultimately, it'll be many times what it was before. Uh, Our country is doing really well. We have horrible trade deals, and I'm straightening them out. The biggest one by far is China. Country is doing very well. The president can can keep saying it because it's true. And you know, if we had really negative numbers, and you know, this whole thing about how the, the Obama economy, we're entering year three now, the Trump presidency, it's the Obama economy. If we're going to say that, then, then no president is really responsible for what happens on his watch because he could always just point to the president before and say, see, see. Remember, they used to say in the first four years of Obama that it was because you know, Bush drove us into the ditch and it's all Bush's fault and because Obama's economy for four years was crap. But now they're saying, oh, it's the Trump. It's not the Trump economy. It's the Obama economy. This is, it's just more nonsense. This is what you've got. I mean, they just they refuse to be honest brokers in this process. They refuse to speak about this uh, as objective reporters would. And it's true. It's really true of the of the global media for the most part, because it's not just the uh, the the news outlets here. You remember the news outlets here have a tremendous influence on the outlets around the world. Their narrative of America. So it really is a globalist media, dare I say. I also want to um, echo something that um, my friend uh, EJ said. Um, it's not only that Trump has to lose, but that all his enablers have to lose. They have to. We have to collectively, in essence, burn down the Republican Party. Um, we have to level them because if there are survivors, if there are people who weather this storm, they will do it again. They will take this as confirmation that hey, it just pays to ride the waves. Look at me, I've made it through. And so up and down the ticket, federal, state, local offices, the country has to repudiate this. This has become a dysfunctional anti-government party. That is not what the country wants and what it needs. There you go, folks. Washington Post at MSNBC, fake conservative Jennifer Rubin doing what she does, giving you the really helpful advice of not only should Trump lose in the next election, but the entire Republican Party should be burned to the ground. Oh, yeah, but she's a conservative, folks. She's a conservative. The whole part, everything, everything goes down, you know? The, uh, the de- deregulatory agenda, the tax cuts, the border security initiatives, the you know, trying to defend religious freedom. I mean, all these things, all of it should be, uh, should be er- eradicated just because Trump, my friends... We know what this is. You have an entire class of people on the sort of on the right who had felt that they had established a well, they had, let's say, become a part of the establishment in a way that they expected would continue forever. And Trump's rise was a threat, not a threat to their closely held beliefs. Jennifer Rubin's beliefs change all the time. My friend Charles Cook, I don't know if you've ever read it. Uh, at National Review, but this is one of these things that you could go back now and read, and it was just brilliant. And it's Jennifer Rubin arguing with Jennifer Rubin. You know, one day she's for this, the next day she's for that. One day, if you don't believe in this, you're not a conservative. The next day, if you do believe in this, you're a conservative. I mean, it's just, 
changing it all the time, doesn't whichever way she feels she's got to go. She's a total careerist. Never says anything very interesting. I, I, I don't know what her credentials are. I think she's a lawyer, and the Washington Post has made her a columnist on the right. Never heard anything insightful from her. And she's part of this whole cottage industry now of Trump bashers. They just all, their whole purpose is to show up at some lib channel or lib publication and find a way to bash Trump. But to do so from the perspective of, oh, I'm the real conservative or I'm a refugee from Trump's destruction of the Republican Party. This I say, the people that don't like Trump's tweets, that don't like some of the things Trump says or does, I, I can't argue with their perception of him being gruff and difficult and and babyish sometimes and all this. But that's different than saying his entire agenda, what he's done for the country and how he's running for office. You want to you want to just negate all that, too. That's just spite. That's just bitterness. And it's a very personal bitterness. Ruben has it. There are many others of these never Trump types who want you to believe I mean, they're very invested in this narrative of their own righteousness, that the only reason that they're not more, uh, the, the only reason that they're opposed to Trump is because they're the good conservatives, they're the, the real conservatives. They're, they're so invested in this, and yet they'll throw everything out. They'll abandon all of, all of the right in the process. This is just about their own. This is about ego. This is about individual careers. This has nothing to do. The people that are doing that are not. I'm telling you this. I know them. I know some of them. I don't know Ruben personally, but I know a lot of these individuals who are never Trump. And it's not that they hate Trump so much more than other people necessarily. It's that they feel like they are not um, not benefiting from the Trump presidency professionally and personally. And they're bitter about it and they think they've earned it and they deserve it and they're supposed to be the ones that are invited to the Oval Office for chats and they're supposed to be the ones that the president you know is bringing around to the White House or whatever it may be and that's really what is driving so much of what you're seeing now and that then brings me to the I mean I don't even know how much we should spend on this how much we need to talk about it but the uh, Joe Walsh campaign uh, Joe Walsh, I've met Joe once or twice. He's kind of a, was like a flash in the pan radio host. He was a congressman for like a, a one term, I think. Now he's very, very never Trump. And look, he's kind of like all, a lot of the downside of Trump uh, in terms of his personal life. Some similarities there with none of the upside of, um, of being a winner, <laughs> of being somebody of considerable clout and substance and uh, a force of nature, all things that Trump is. And I I have to say, this uh, trend that you see of candidates who are are coming up on the right, who have no, I mean, say they have no chance of beating Trump. I mean, this is, I I would have a better chance of running for president and beating Trump than Joe Walsh. And I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I was making such a fool of myself. But this trend is purely about self-advancement and careerism. So these individuals see an opportunity. I mean, someone like Evan McMullen, who is remarkably uh, just wrong in his analysis of Russia collusion and is just a generally unimpressive guy. I don't know what to say. He's not inspiring, not, not insightful. But, you know, he built up a, a following on social media and, and became something of a, 
of a deal became something of a thing because he ran for president. Horribly unsuccessful. I mean, it was a joke, but he ran, he ran for president, right? And this is now a way that people try to sell books and build social media followings. And what's so interesting about this, though, to me, is that there are those who are the elite establishment never-Trumpers, people like Bill Kristol, who are behind all this. And it just shows you how skewed and how, how far off the mark their judgment has become. I mean, it is not possible. It is simply not possible to believe that it's a good idea for Joe Walsh, like a, a not even a third tier, a, a tenth tier congressman, but a congressman that has said insane stuff in public, by the way, has been taking the task for tweets and for statements he's made in the past that were just stupid inflammatory. It's just this guy's trying to get attention. And I feel badly because here I'm on radio. I'm actually giving him more attention. And I don't have a personal problem with him. I just think the guy's, what he's doing is clownish. It's clownish, but it also shows us the people that are willing to support this in any way who claim that they're really, you know, the Jennifer Rubens. Oh, they want reform in the Republican Party. They want a better Republican Party. If they really wanted a better Republican Party, they'd put forward a candidate that in any way embodied the values and skill set that they claim they claim is important that they think Trump falls in the areas where they think Trump falls short. That is not what is happening here at all. I mean, Joe Walsh candidacy. I'm even here, uh, hearing people talk about um, who's the guy, uh, well, Bill Weld. I mean, what is this, folks? Why waste everybody's time? I, I just can't imagine. It feels like such a con, like such a fraud to be a candidate that, you know, it's, you're never going to get a support. You're not going to get on a debate stage. You're not going to raise any money. But you're just you're going to have a few people that run now defunct neoconservative publications that are going to say nice things about you for a few weeks. And that's worth it. I just don't get it. But this is part of the part of the Trump realities. Not only has he exposed the leftist media for being the propagandists that they are it's gone even beyond that and he's shown us who many people on the right have been all along they've been completely self-interested and they're and ultimately they're not about the cause at all they're frauds they're frauds so you know never trump they there's a reason why they're never going anywhere and you see it with joe walsh and you'll see it with anybody else who tries to step in mission of keen I'm back. I've been here a number of times. Last time was, I think, uh, all the way back in 2014, but I've been here before that. I love this place. I lo- Look, what's not to like about Vermont in terms of the beauty of it? And what a neat town. What a, I mean, this is sort of a scenic, beautiful town. The mayor's been a good guy, and they've got, everybody's been really friendly. I like Keene a lot. Problem with that, Joe, is that he was in New Hampshire, not Vermont. Now, I put this out there. Producer Mike and Producer Mark, when was the last time either of you forgot what state you were in while making a public statement, by the way, and did not correct yourself right away? Has that ever, have you ever been like, I think I'm in Virginia, and turns out, no, you're in North Carolina, and you didn't figure that out right away? No. I mean, well, Producer Mark, I know you like to party, but not that hard. Plus, as I ever came to that. Happened. Yeah. The closest I ever came was possibly going to the wrong hotel room thinking I was in another city. But, you know, it made that adjustment very quickly. 
One day we're just going to have a whole hour of the show, Producer Mike, where we hear about all the bachelor parties you've been to. But that's for another time. <laughs> Not many, but. So, look, here's, I try to be fair about, I try to be fair all the time. I know Obama ruined the word fair, but it's actually useful. Not when you say things like fair share or, you know, pay your fair share of taxes and all but, you know, trying to be a fair-minded person or fair in your approach to other human beings, I, I, I think that that's a word we could still use. I try to be fair to the left. I try to be fair to the libs, the Democrats, not just always bash them and say, oh, everything they do is terrible and I hate them. Okay, fine. That's why I go through this and I say, yeah, everyone's going to jump all over Biden on this because, look, the guy's old and you start to wonder, does he have... Oh, I know you can't ask these questions. They ask it about Trump. Does he have early onset dementia? Is that happening? Because he does have forgetfulness. Think about how much they have said that Trump needs to be removed from office with the 25th Amendment. We started off earlier in the show talking about how they're bringing on doctors who are saying the president is literally crazy and a homicidal maniac, like killing millions of people. I mean, it's just the most, the most off-the-wall indefensible, incomprehensible garbage. Of course, it's on CNN. I mean, CNN, CNN should, if you watch CNN, you should be embarrassed. It's not like I don't agree with CNN anymore. It's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassing channel. Because they put people on air who do incredibly embarrassing things, hosts, guests, and they feel no shame because they're so caught up in this. It's really a personal feud, I'll tell you. I know about this. It's a personal feud between Trump and Zucker. Zucker has weaponized CNN against Trump, and he's not going to back down. It's personal for these. And when people have an ego that sized, they they don't care who else gets caught up in the in the mess. They don't care what the losses are to the innocent bystanders, so to speak, of the media war on the White House. But Biden forgets what state he's in, and you know the media keeps saying, "Oh, it's just another gaffe. It's just another gaffe." When is it more than a gaffe? When is it, uh, I'm not sure this guy is up for this, folks. I And you know, I'm going to keep saying it. I've been telling you from the beginning, it won't be Biden because it can't be Biden. And I still really believe that. I think that they're making, the Democrats, and now, but there's a part of me, I know some of you send me these emails like, shut up, Buck, they're going to figure it out. I'm like, yeah, but they're not, little, not enough libs are listening to me. Not enough libs care, and even if they are listening to me, they don't care what I think. They'd be like, oh, he's trying to lead us away from victory. Biden's going to get it done. Uh-uh. Biden is not going to get it done. No way. But they're trying to find out a way to cover for him. They're trying to create a, a narrative of, oh, no, it's just that's just Joe being Joe. You know, he's always just doing his thing and blah, blah, blah. But, mm-mm. I think something's wrong. I think when you forget what state you're in, I think that when you have these these continuous, what you'd call senior moments, and I feel badly because I know people, you know, I, I've, I know what it's like to members of your family when their memory starts to go and stuff. You know, I don't, I don't like to bring it up because anyone, you know, we want to be mean about people as they age. Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, we're all going to be there at some point. You know, things are going to stop working, whether it's, you know, our knees or our hips or our minds or, you know, it's just deterioration is part of our, all of our life cycles. But this guy's trying to become leader of the free world for the next eight years with the ability to, you know, fire off nuclear weapons and change the economy and do all kinds of stuff. I'm sorry. It's relevant. It was relevant when they were always talking about Dick Cheney couldn't even be vice president because they said his heart wasn't strong enough. And it's certainly relevant 
in the era of Trump when they've been saying now without any evidence that he is truly medically crazy. Without providing any evidence whatsoever of this, he is truly medically insane. And they'll bring experts on to diagnose him from afar, which any real psychiatrist will tell you that to diagnose somebody that you've never talked to and never, this is, this is ridiculous. It's really an affront to medicine and, and people should not be doing this, but you know, anything, anything to hurt Trump, anything to get on, to get on TV. But the, the Biden situation has gotten so bad, his foggy memory is, is just all of these deteriorations that he seems to be showing have gotten so problematic that he's out there telling people that he's straight up just not losing his mind. Is we are so close, so close to be able to do some incredible things for this country. Incredible things. I just spoke at, a, at Dartmouth on health care at the medical school, or not, I guess I wasn't actually on the campus, but the people from the medical school were at the... I, I want to be clear. I'm not going nuts. I'm not sure whether it was a medical school or where the hell I spoke, but it was on the campus. It was on the campus and the dean of all of that. I'm not going nuts, he tells you. I know he's being funny there, but is it funny? Why do we think that Biden is is somebody who it's beyond beyond the pale, outside the Overton window of our election discussions to see whether or not Biden or to discuss whether or not Biden is, is really medically fit for this office. Oh, they made an they made an issue of Trump's weight. They've made an issue of his brain. They've made an issue. You know, he's meanwhile, as we all know, Trump's a very stable genius. But this is where I think the libs are going to have a very, a very rude awakening. They're too scared to let it be known to the base, the left wing base, that, yeah, Biden is not. Even though the polls are where they are, he's just not a strong enough candidate, not a strong enough politician, and maybe not even a healthy enough politician to do this. But no one on the left has the courage. They don't want to be the first ones. Well, I shouldn't say no one, but very few of the mainstream outlets. There are, there are some people out there, and I give them credit. I mean, they might be crazy socialists, but at least they realize that Biden's not going to get it done. But he seems to be having senior moments. And this is completely fair game. They've made it fair game with their with their discussions about removing Trump via the 25th Amendment. Uh, we need to prevent Biden via the you can't be crazy amendment. I want the cleanest water on Earth. I want the cleanest air on Earth. I'm an environmentalist. You, a lot of people don't understand that. I have done more environmental impact statements probably than anybody that's, I guess I can say definitely, because I've done many, many, many of them. More than anybody that's ever been president or vice president or anything even close to president. And I think I know more about the environment than most people. I want clean air. I want clean water. I want a wealthy country. I want a, a spectacular country with jobs, with pensions, with so many things. And that's what we're getting. Trump the environmentalist, folks. Part of why I love this is because, you know, that liberal heads explode. The very fact that he brings this up, the very fact that Trump is even saying that he likes the environment, never mind that he is a good steward of the environment, that he takes action to protect the environment, he's got to know that this will drive the libs 
insane in the membrane, insane in the brain. But that's one of the reasons it's so important for him to say it, because this is true of conservatives. I'm an environmentalist in the sense that I believe in clean water and clean air. And there's really no debate about that. I've never seen someone who advocates in public for, oh, we shouldn't we shouldn't have a nice environment. We shouldn't have you know clean air, clean water, these things that they always talk about. You know, one moment they're talking about how we need to have clean air, clean water. And then the next it always jumps to. Oh, but we need to regulate the CO2 in the air. CO2 is not a pollutant. That's just a myth. CO2 is not pollution. CO2 is a naturally occurring environmental gas that is a very, very small percentage of the atmosphere. Okay, but CO2 is a naturally occurring phenomenon. It is not something that comes because of uh, you know, that that is only created by our pollution, by our bad things that we do. They always they always switch the game. I'm I'm even beyond, I'd say, an environmentalist in some ways and would would be a, a conservationist. And I believe in conservation to some degree, although the human record of conservation is very weak. I'll tell you this. You know, I was looking at some of the because uh, like everything else with Trump, you're always told. Something bad, bad. Trump is bad because of X. And then when you say, well, hold on a second. What has he done exactly? What, what has he done about X that is, that is a problem? And then you never get an answer from them. They don't really know. They just want to tell you that Trump is bad because that's what they've heard on the TV. From the, from the Brad Stelters of the world. Hello, everybody. Brad Stelter with the reliable sources. Jeff Zucker said I could leave the house again today. So here I am. Uh, you got... Trump out there talking about how he's environmentalist. They obviously disagree. But when you look, I mean, I looked even at, at, let's say, National Geographic. What are the things that Trump has done? What are the top things that Trump has done that are that are the big cause of concern when it comes to the environment? I'm, I am curious. I want to know. And, you know, you see things like, okay, uh, Offshore drilling safety rules rolled back. This was on May 2nd of, the, of this year. The Trump administration announced they'll roll back some safety measures that regulate offshore drilling operations. The previous set of safety rules were implemented in 2010 after disastrous explosion of BP oil well. Uh, after the oh, explosion, the Obama administration tightened safety rules. Amongst other measures, they required more tests on blowout preventers and other parts of the drilling apparatuses. The new rollbacks rescind these measures. Okay, well, guess what? Do we really need those measures? The BP oil spill was a terrible natural disaster. It was. It's also very rare. Whenever there is an oil spill, guess what? You hear about it. How often does it happen? It's very infrequent. Guess what? The companies that are the big, bad, mean oil companies drilling, they don't want spills either. You know, they always act like there's no incentive for, oh, they just they just don't care about all oh, the pelicans and the seagulls that'll be covered in the oil. No, they don't want any of that. It's terrible PR for them. It's terrible for business. They're going to end up having to pay enormous sums of money to make it better. All of it. So they're incredibly incentivized to not mess up. But the rollback here of, the, of this measure is treated like, oh, my gosh, they must not care about this at all. 
And then you have uh, Trump signs pipeline orders. This is another one that they said. President Trump signed two executive orders. This is back in April of this year that will smooth the path for companies to build oil and gas pipelines. Why is that a bad thing? We have a lot of oil and gas pipeline. When was the last time you heard about a massive pipeline spill? Just wondering. How, how often does that happen? Oh, wow. You probably can't even think of one on the top of your head, at least not a recent one. Here's another one. I mean, this this is what they say. That, you know, Trump, oh, he's so bad on the environment. And we'll, you know, we'll talk in a moment about the passing of David Koch and how that's all tied into this. You know, there's there's a strain of environmental extremism on the left. I mean, true extremists. They're like the jihadists of the, you know, plant-based vegan no fossil fuel movement. I mean, they really are. They're they're incredibly uh indoctrinated into a, a set of beliefs that aren't rooted, aren't rooted in science or fact or truth. They just believe it because they want to believe it. Because it makes them feel better about themselves. Because they feel superior to folks like you and me who say, well, do you know what has coincided with the elevation of billions of people out of a, a uh, subsubsistence misery? Do you know what has coincided with electronics and antibiotics and plastics and air travel and car travel and think of all of the conveniences all of the enhanced productivity all the good things that exist in our in our economy and and that has coincided directly with the rise of the fossil fuel economy you'll see this very clearly the explosion in human productivity and human prosperity in a material sense is directly correlated in our history with a fossil fuel-based economy. Yeah, of course, there are inventions along the way, and the microprocessor, computer chip, and the steam engine, and all these. Sure. But guess what? You can't have any of those things without a fossil fuel-based economy. So people that have been indoctrinated in this anti-fossil fuel religion, they're just crazy. And they're really not humanitarians at all, because if it weren't for... Fossil fuels used for the transport of food, for uh, food storage, for food growth, for fertilizer. For you'd have famines that would have happened that would have killed you know untold millions, tens of millions of people. You'd have people living shorter, sicker, more miserable lives. Oh, but you know if you're if you're a super wealthy lib, you can feel all you know happy and proud of yourself because you know they're they're building a windmill in Nantucket where all the the journos are spending their last two weeks of summer, of course. Trump greenlights the Keystone XL pipeline. That's another one they list is why, oh, Trump can't be an environmentalist. He's green on the Keystone XL pipeline. This is a very straightforward litmus test. The Keystone XL pipeline is just a means for transporting fossil fuel from Canada across the United States to ports in the Gulf of Mexico that will then be distributed throughout the world. That's all it is. If we don't do it, the oil merely will go west and go to a Canadian port and Pacific distribution, but the oil's coming out of the ground either way. It's coming out of the ground. The tar sand oil, it's coming out either way. So the difference in having a Keystone XL pipeline is just a question of are there some benefits for american companies and american jobs that's all 
There's the environmental impact. They've done studies of this. The environmental impact, the difference is zero. Let's see what else we have here. Oh, oil and gas companies get access to the sage grouse habitat. This happened in March of this year. Oh, no, not the sage grouse. Producer, producer Mike, did you have a pet sage grouse in college? <laughs> yeah, no. I don't think so. Probably tastes delicious. Yeah. I like my sage grouse deep fried. I like it uh, baked, stewed, all of the above. Oh, no, the sage grouse, the habitat. I mean, this is like the spotted owl stuff from the 90s. This is, folks, I'm, I'm reading to you. This is the top things that are listed on National Geographic, which is very left-wing, as you know. The top things listed for why Trump is an enemy of the environment. And the stuff is ridiculous. It's either not true or it's who cares. So when Trump says he's an environmentalist and their heads all explode, they go, oh, my gosh, what's Okay, well, what, what has he done that makes you so mad? They can't point to anything. EPA criminal enforcement's hit a 30-year low. Well, I'm very curious. Did, were they on the... How, how, many, how many criminal referrals do you think the EPA really gets in any given year? About 150. Oh, no, there are 100 fewer. You know, it's like, how many are we even talking about here? 150 criminal referrals. Uh, you know, I, I think we got enough people getting sent to prison. Uh, I wonder what we're really looking at here. Trump nominates uh, Andrew Wheeler to a permanent EPA job. I mean, th- this is, you go through their list and it's just uh, nothing. It's a whole bunch of nothing, but they're so convinced. And this is like I, I saw over the weekend again. People uh, were. I forget who it was. Some journal was tweeting out about how, you know, Trump, what he said at Charlottesville. And he lied about what Trump said at Charlottesville. Trump didn't praise neo-Nazis. Stop. Libs. Journos. Stop being idiots. Stop lying about it. Oh, wait, Trump also gets something else that all these leftists don't seem to understand, which is how important energy is to us. Play 11. We're the number one energy producer in the world. Soon it will be by far the number one uh, It's tremendous wealth, and LNG is being sought after all over Europe and all over the world, and we have more of it than anybody else. And I'm not going to lose that wealth. I'm not going to lose it on on dreams, on windmills, which, frankly, aren't working too well. I'm not going to lose it. He's right. People suffer because of environmental insanity. People are poorer and more miserable. If the leftists who are just green socialists get their way, Trump is right on this one. Don't listen to the crazies. Some funeral news to report uh, yesterday. David Koch of the zillionaire Koch brothers died. Please of prostate cancer. I guess I'm going to have to reevaluate my low opinion of prostate cancer. <laughs> As for his remains, he has asked to be cremated and have his ashes blown into a child's lungs. He and his brother have done more than anybody to fund climate science deniers for decades. So, f- him. The Amazon is burning up. I'm glad he's dead, and I hope the end will come. All right. Hideous and stupid statements. It's a shame. Recently, I think Bill's actually said some very uh, worthwhile things about the woke left, and 
as you know, I was on his show not long ago. Uh, what he's saying here about David Koch is he's, of course, allowed to say it. I hate even having to say that he's allowed. Of course he's allowed to say it. I'm not someone who believes in censorship, and uh, I think that it's better that they air out, that the, the radical left lets us know who they are and what they're all about, then this stuff gets pushed underground or is denied. I mean, one of the problems New York Times has with the efforts to archive the tweets of their reporters showing what they really think is that we know what they really think, and they don't want us to know that. They'd rather give us the sanitized, oh, we're just professionals, man, doing a job. But to say here that you're happy that David Koch died. David Koch was a, uh, let's just start with this, an incredible philanthropist uh, who spent hundreds of millions of dollars on not just the arts. People say, oh, because he funded the ballet a little bit, it doesn't matter what he did. Uh, But someone who spent hundreds of millions of dollars on cancer research, on facilities that are intended to save lives of people. And yet you have uh, those with big platforms, but not very large brains like John Legend saying things like when you spend so much money and influence to dismantle the state and destroy the planet, he wrote, it really isn't enough to donate even millions to offset that damage. (sighs) It's a gross thing and it's a stupid thing to say. Does anyone want to bring up that Obama just spent 15 million dollars on a house in Martha's Vineyard, you know, oceanfront? I guess he's really worried about the rise of the seas. Remember that he was going to lower the rise of the seas? Martha's Vineyard, folks, is at sea level. Okay? It's an island off by itself in the Atlantic. And if you're on the beach, guess what? You're at sea level. I don't think he's concerned about the rise of the seas anytime soon. Just paid $15 million for that house. You know, Bill Maher says that he's so worried about the environment, about if they're serious about renewable energy, then they would approach... Nuclear energy. I saw Andrew Yang was promoting an energy plan recently where he's saying that nuclear is the way of the future. And he's right, by the way. The hysteria around nuclear energy is unfounded and has dramatically slowed the progress of technologies that would be able to give us nearly unlimited energy. Uh, we can do these things. We, we're really at the infancy of our use of nuclear energy. But you have all these environmentalist wackos who wanted to shut that down because, oh, gosh, we've had a few a few problems with a reactor here, a reactor there. Now they have these. I forget. I think they're called fourth or fifth generation reactors. They're safer. They they fail into a safe state, even if they instead of having a meltdown, essentially, it just cools down it chills out. But the hatred of David Koch is a reminder. David Koch was pro-choice, pro-same-sex marriage, libertarian, open borders. They hate him so much because he was part of the fossil fuel economy, because he was a billionaire many, many times over for his really you know, chemical and then energy companies. And the truth is, that is the economy. Without the things that David Koch was involved in, we would not have this incredible abundance. We would not have all these supercomputers in our pockets and amazing 
flat screen TVs for practically nothing that are all over our walls and cars getting better and faster and safer and technology improving all the time. You know, we it, it's now a rarity to have an, an airplane crash. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it is very rare statistically. That wasn't the case 30 or 40 years ago. You just look down the list of all the ways the technology has been getting better. Our lives have been getting better. And there have been strides in cancer treatment, for example, because of people like David Koch, who wrote very large checks for the research, the development, the time and expertise needed. And yet you've got people actually celebrating this man's death from prostate cancer, which, by the way, is a horrible way to go. Very painful and very sad. David Koch wasn't a good man. He was a great man. And they hate him anyway. Probably a reminder for all of us going forward. If, if you think that bending the knee to the left on a few things will get them to say some nice words over your coffin, think again. Live the life that you know you should live based on honor, based on decency, and the courage to do what you know is right, irrespective of what the lunatic socialists say about you so destroying the planet. I was up to my neck in boxes over the weekend trying to move in, which, no surprise... Of course, there were annoying things that came up and, you know, we had an elevator to move. It was double booked. And it's just you, you've always you move. You got problems. You know, you're going to move. There's going to just like I said, I knew it. You know what the problems will be, but, you know, there's going to be problems. So anyway, I was up to my neck in the uh, in the boxes. And uh, sure enough, I, I saw this thing about Andrew Luck who is a quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. Now, I, I do not pretend to be knowledgeable about professional sports. I'm an all-American kind of guy, so I like watching professional sports. In fact, I'm hoping to make my way to the U.S. Open sometime in the next couple of weeks for a you know, day pass or something. That would be fun. I, I, I like these things, but uh, I don't know that much about professional sports. I was surprised, I guess, that there was all this criticism People were, were criticizing this guy, Andrew Luck, for leaving. Producer Mike, what, what, is, the, what is the heart of this, uh, you know, hating on Luck for deciding that he's had enough at age 29? It seems to be two parts. Um, one is people are getting on him for the timing of it. Um, the season is about to start in two weeks, and they're, they're saying that he bailed, you know, right at, at one of the worst times he could. And the other part is there's, there's, uh, there's certain people who are getting on him for – you know his injuries, and he's not wanting to rehab. Lack of effort, th- that kind of thing. Do you think? Okay, now uh, what of those two are those fair criticisms, and how fair are they? Uh, the, the the most fair one would be the first one, where the, the timing's a little off. But even that, I mean, that doesn't really bother me. Listen, this is this guy's life; it's his career. I mean, people get seriously hurt every day in this game. If he wants to go, you know, who's to tell him? You know, it's you can't go. He, he was a really good player for a long time. Did, did have some unfortunate injuries, but hey, man, it's his choice. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, I got to wonder at some point, you know, it, it, do we have clarity yet on whether, I mean, does football cause these these traumatic brain injuries over a long time or not? I mean, how, how hard can it be to get the science right on this one? I feel right. like people should at least know this. I saw LeBron James apparently has said that he would not allow his son to play football because he thinks it's... I mean, this is LeBron James, one of the biggest, most important athletes in the world. Right, yeah. I mean, it's there's there's a lot of theories on that. I mean, yeah, I think you, you played the wrong way and you definitely get hurt. I mean, there's definitely... it's There's a lot of people who have suffered brain damage. I don't, I don't think there's any argument about that. But 
it's all about teaching kids how to play the game the right way. I guess it is with any sport, you know, how to tackle right, how to, you know, hit right. And I guess the, the you know, chances in football, you're probably going to hurt are higher, but I mean, soccer, I mean, you can get brain damage in soccer just like you can in, um, in uh, football. I've told people this and they say it's sexist, but it's just true. Male, female physiology is different. Women heading a soccer ball is very, very bad. Their brains hit the inside of their skulls more, uh, more frequently because women's skulls are lighter, their bone density is less, and uh, women also have weaker, generally, okay, you don't send me photos of some woman who can bench press 500 pounds. Women have uh, weaker sternocleidomastoid muscles, which are the stabilizer muscles around the neck. Uh, so that, that means that every time they had a ball, their brains bouncing around inside, uh, inside their skull, which is not good. You can create a, the equivalent of very... Very small concussions. Yeah. So it's it's bad news. I was just sort of surprised people were really getting on this guy for it, and I yeah. feel like Did you, you see know, uh, Troy Aikman. What he said? What he about said? this incident? No. So there was a reporter from Fox Sports One named that uh, Doug Gottlieb. Who I'll read you his tweet. He goes retiring because uh, uh, retiring cause rehabbing is too hard is the most millennial thing ever. Hashtag Andrew Luck. That's what a guy from Fox Sports One who may have never played a sport in his life tweeted out. Troy Aikman's response to him was, that's total BS, Doug. What qualifies you to decide how someone should live their life? So you're now the authority on the motivations of Andrew Luck. And if his decisions don't fit into what you think is best for him, then you rip him? Guess that's what keeps you employed at FS1. Nice. Wow. Yeah. So Aikman took him out, and deservedly so. I think Troy, you know, he's, he's a Super Bowl pl- MVP player, Hall of Famer. And he speaks for the football player, and then you got this other side of it, these media people who have never played the game in their lives who are criticizing him. So I think I, I think I'm going to watch some football this season. Last season and the season before, I pretty much took off, and I might actually watch them this time around. But I got to say, if, if I ever have you know little bucks running around, I'm not sure they're going to be playing football, man. There's a lot of other sports out there that uh, I think would be uh, ahead of that on my list. But you know, I guess it's also up to them. You got to let the kids do pursue their own dreams. I mean, if I could go back in time, I, I think I'd. You know, I just wish I had started strength training younger, drink less. This is the advice that if I'd go back in time, I'd give myself: do more strength training, get consistent about it, drink less alcohol, get more sleep, read more books. I- I'm not sure I've ever met. Well, I don't think I've ever met anybody that wouldn't benefit from at least one or two of those things. And most people I know would probably benefit from all of them. Uh, but I, I never tried any of the the. Uh, Full contact sports, really hockey, football. I don't know if lacrosse really counts. They kind of just run around and whap each other with sticks, you know? I'm not sure that really, that's not really the same as being on ice skates with full pads or, or being a football player who's trying to, you know, spear people and take them, take them down. So anyway, uh, the big football story. Andrew Luck's retiring and people think that this is an interesting life choice. He's still very rich, folks. He's going to be okay. Rock and roll, fellow Patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call from NYC. Yay. First show of the new regime. It is going to be absolutely fantastic. That much I can tell you. We are excited here. 
in the, the hut of freedom, a.k.a. La Freedom Hut. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Whenever you want to let me know what is going on in your world, in your mind. Uh, free your mind and the rest will follow. I think that's the way. I think those are the lyrics. I'm very hesitant now about lyrics on the show because I have shown that I occasionally get them wrong. And I thought things were the wrong. You know, hey, I thought it was, wait, I've got a new complaint. But anyway, let's get to it. Uh, Seth. Hey, Buck. Friday, you mentioned you were thinking of getting into meditation. I'm a big proponent. My parents are meditators and taught me basic techniques at age four. Obviously, I wasn't shaving my head and chanting OM at that point. But I've been engaged in it on and off my entire life. I'm 32 now, testing various techniques. In short, I have found that 10 to 20 minutes daily in the morning is the most bang for the buck. No pun intended. It's extremely therapeutic, and most of the time I get a nice body buzz. Ooh. Some places you have to pay extra for the body buzz. Uh, it's extremely therapeutic, and uh, when it's done regularly, I notice a slight improvement in my mood and ability to handle stress throughout the day. Meditation is also great for recovering from emotional turmoil. My job is extremely stressful. I very much like to pray as well, but meditation certainly has a unique effect. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the subject. P.S. I never miss a podcast. I use the Google Podcast app, and producer Mark is most certainly doing his job correctly. Hey, producer Mark. I have one fan. Put one up on the board. There you go. Some people like to bring the audio ruckus to you, you know? They like to like to bring the ruckus and say stuff about how you're not doing it. Kayla, regarding your move, good luck. Also, I chuckled when you were commenting about keeping your old term papers and things because you don't want to be a hoarder. You asked who needs this stuff? I thought Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh totally did. Some of his old calendars and notes cleared from him being completely railroaded. Great show as always, Kayla. That is true. So if I ever run for Supreme Court, hopefully I will, in fact, have access to my old term papers and things like that. And calendar that show that I did not go to the party of an emotionally disturbed person who, who has no real memory of the events at hand, but is politically very motivated to come up with a specific story as we know larkin are you going on one hour early today larkin i don't know what you're talking about but not yet not yet my friend uh there will be some exciting show things happening very soon but uh what do we tell the god of death not today you remember that right that's right game of thrones no one ever thinks of game of thrones anymore because they kind of Took it off the rails at the end. It just wasn't good enough. It's just producer Mike, you and I never watched it. We could write. You've never watched it. No. How have you never watched Game of Thrones? This I watched the uh, the pilot episode uh, a few years back, and by the time I got to the end of it, I had no idea who was with which family, and I had to go back and watch it again. Any show I have to do that to, I don't want to put that much brain power into it. So I need to know: Should I watch Blue Blood or The Shield as my next cop show? Or Blue Bloods, I guess. Yeah, I, I've never seen the show. The Blue Blood, Blue Bloods, I thought was pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, I like Blue Bloods as well. Blue Bloods. People tell me they really like it, even though it's got like the the JV Wahlberg, you know, the third tier Wahlberg. 
Or I guess the second tier Wahlberg. Not Mark. The other guy. Donnie. Donnie Wahlberg. But, you know, I guess he's playing a, like, like a tough as nails detective for the NYPD. So, you know, probably does a good job. Yeah, that's right. All, all, apparently all the detectives from like whether it's Law and Order or The Shield or NYPD Blue, they all talk like this in About This Register. It's Fun, fun fact, I usually actually worked uh, on a project with Donnie once. Nice guy. Really? Yeah. I did. I hear very good things about his older brother, actually. He's quite, he's quite uh, a family man, practicing Roman Catholic. Yeah, good things. Eric, long live the Freedom Hut. Buck, thank you for recommending The Road to Serfdom by Friedrich Hayek. Oh, yeah, that'll get all the ladies. It's rarely remembered now that socialism in its beginnings was frankly authoritarian. The French writers who laid the foundations of modern socialism had no doubt their ideas could be put into practice only by a strong dictatorial government. Where freedom was concerned, the founders of socialism made no bones about their intentions. Freedom of thought they regarded as the root of evil of 19th century society and the first of modern planners, Saint-Simon, even predicted that those who did not obey his proposed planning would be treated as cattle. Very eager to read your forthcoming book on the topic. Hope you, the, uh, hope you voice the audio version, Shields. Hi, Eric. I do have to write more and faster, but it is happening. It is happening. I am in the process. I am writing a book on socialism that I hope you will all read, which is a tough task because there are other books out there about why socialism is bad and they're boring and they suck. And it's a shame because some of the people that have written these books are very good writers, but they, they you know, you got to keep it at the... It's got to move. It's got to still be a narrative. It can't all be, uh, then this quote from this obscure political scientist in the 1870s who said this. Uh, that, that, can't be that. I'm not doing that. It's going to be the Freedom Hunt meets socialism, or anti-socialism, rather. That's how we're doing it. Uh, with, in partnership with my friends at Stansbury Research, who, those guys are ballers. Those guys are awesome. Uh, Lisa writes, hey, Buck, I hope the move went smoothly. Please give our thanks to Ben Weingarten for a terrific show on Friday. You can tell he really prepares for it. His information is sometimes mind-blowing. What a great deep dive into history. I actually listened twice. OSS Lisa. Well, Lisa, that makes me really happy. I'm glad uh, that Mr. Weingarten did such a, uh, such a strong job as I knew he would. Ben and I go back years. Ben and I knew each other at the Blaze, I want to say maybe 2014 we met, 2013, 2014. Uh, I believe I think he's also an ex Goldman Sachs guy, really, and decided he wanted to do something a little more worthwhile with his time. So uh, he's now radio and writer and media personality. Anyway, he's a, he's a great dude. And uh, one thing I really like about Ben is, other than the fact that he's smart and talented, uh, he's got a really excellent attitude. He's humble and he loves doing this show. And one thing you always want for somebody who's going to take over, it's like giving someone, whenever someone fills in for me in the show, it's like I'm giving them the keys to my house for the weekend. You know, I, I want them to enjoy themselves. I want them to get the full experience. But you want somebody that you know respects the place and, and you're going to show up and you know, there might be like a little bottle of Mezcal with a bow waiting for you on the dining room table or something. You know what I mean? You want somebody, and that's kind of Ben's attitude. He leaves this thing in. He leaves the Freedom Hut cleaner than he found it. That's if that's a thing. Casey. Hey, Buck, I took your advice from quite a while ago and I started watching Jack Ryan, although I'm quite certain it isn't the regular job description of CIA analysts. It hits the fascina- uh, fascination factor right on the head. Keep preaching the truth as well as holding the libs feet to the fire 
As always, shields high and semper fi. Casey from the United States Marine Corps. Casey, I'm glad you're enjoying the Jack Ryan show. I got to give that guy, Jim from the office, credit. I was wondering, what's his name? Wozniacki? No, that's a tennis John, player. John uh, Krasinski. Krasinski. Krasinski, Wozniacki. You know, it's Polish or something. Uh, all the Polish people are like, don't you, don't you go there. And we got a lot of, we got a lot of p- people of Polish heritage who listen to the show. A lot of uh, people up in the Massachusetts area, up in Boston, uh, Poles in the, I don't know, where, where's actually the greatest concentration of Poles in the United States, do we know? I, I mean, know. is it Chicago? I feel like it's probably Chicago, right? That, that could be it. Uh, it. Makes sense to me. Polish sausage. Uh, Michael, just saw the latest on Epstein from the DOJ. So Epstein wasn't examined by an actual psychologist, but from someone who's at the tail end of earning their psychology degree. The title psychologist infers an earned degree, so no disclaimer would be needed. Am I reading too much into this? Michael, it's tough to say you're reading too much into it because the Epstein suicide in prison was a complete and utter debacle. Uh, It should not have happened. It should not have been a thing that occurred. No one thinks. And I don't mean it shouldn't have as in, oh, no, what a shame. I mean, this was not this wasn't something that you could mess up. This wasn't something that, oops, I'm sorry, is acceptable or we're just going to move on from. And they knew that beforehand, but they still haven't been able to really give us an answer other than we are grotesquely incompetent, grotesquely incompetent. And I'm not sure that's the, the answer they really want to be giving the American people much longer. Jonathan Buck, thanks for keeping America safe with your show. Saw the AG, Attorney General, saw you out of the swamp. Absolutely legendary. Question floating around block. I'm hearing that Antifa may be comprised of lib members of the media. Just a little something going around. Jonathan, lib members of the media are too friendly with Antifa, but I don't think they are Antifa. And yes, the Attorney General did show up at my going away party, which was very fun and fantastic. Oh, friends. That's it for today from NYC, from the Freedom Hunt in the Big Apple, which is how we roll going forward. Shields high.